Hi, welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here with Trevor. How are you feeling today, Trevor? I feel pretty good. I feel like the floor that's under a rug. How are you feeling? Okay, preserved. Uh, I feel <laughs> like Windows 95 in uh, 4K. Whoa. Or maybe just 1080. I don't know. You're stretched out. Yeah, I wonder if we'll ever have like high def Windows high 95. De- <laughs> high def ancient tech. Yeah, high def Minesweeper. Yeah, well, that's probably achievable. Is Minesweeper still on Windows computers? Like, if, like I, I don't know because like I only ever use work computer, like my work computer, and then mm. obviously they block that. But Minesweeper is definitely like, my favorite of the. If old they games. took Minesweeper off of like Windows, that's like a betrayal. Yeah, no, like you gotta, that would you be solitaire and solitaire what, Minesweeper. Yeah, whatever sale. amount of money they need to spend to preserve Minesweeper. <laughs> whatever licensing that Bill Gates needs to, you know. He should stop saving kids from malaria and get Minesweeper back. Yeah, I get addicted to that game. I get addicted Anyways. and then there's there's always a turning point with Minesweeper when you just start clicking. You're just like, no. <laughs> no more strategy, I'm just going for it. No, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So... This is uh first episode of 2020. So now we can say yes. that we span two decades. Yep. Yep. This yep. is the beginning of a new decade for yeah. shitty book reports. And um, so looking back on everything we've done, I'd like to think that one of our main goals here is to try and promote reading in general, you know, either by trying to get people interested in a specific book or a specific author or otherwise kind of just demonstrating how reading has enriched our lives or taught us something or anything you know definitely. you think we've been good I, at that or you think that's our goal i hope i hope we've been good at that i definitely think that's one of our goals i think all the time about how like if you if i wasn't reading there would be like a whole layer missing yeah you know like you, you often meet people who just don't really read that much and it's like dude you're missing out on like 20 percent. yeah it's a hobby but it's you know, <laughs> one of the deeper hobbies i feel it's a little bit more than that but I mean, yeah, I feel that way too. I've always tried to encourage like my family and just people around me to read more yep. just because it's, you know, it, it's like saying, hey, drink, you should drink more water. Like, you know, right. it's obviously yeah. good for you. Right. But every reader, I, it's probably, it's probably similar to people who, you know, I know that you're like a big fitness person. It's probably similar to like health people where it's like, hey, you should really take care of yourself and run. And it like feels amazing. <laughs> and then like 90% of people completely ignore that fact. That's a good yeah. way to think about it. Yeah. And every, I think every reader, have you ever been the person like I'll buy, I attempted like, you know, two or three times like, oh, mom, I bought you this like really good book. It's really good. And then, you know, it just goes unread, like completely unread. <laughs> and you're yeah. just like, mm, not getting anywhere. <laughs> oh, well. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I thought we could kind of discuss that concept of trying to promote interest in reading because I came across an, an article uh, NPR a little while ago hmm. that I bookmarked and I knew I was going to turn it into an intro at some point, but it was titled, Not a Regular Reader, Four Strategies to Make Reading a Habit. And okay. I thought we could kind of go through those and see how we feel about them. Okay. Yeah. So fire off the first one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Because, yeah, it is like a habit. You know, habits are very hard to form good habits. So It definitely is. It definitely is. I could definitely see because 
Have you ever been reading a like a difficult book that maybe you might give up on, but it's like reading is also just like you said, a habit that you can kind of just like turn it on and be like, I'm not really loving this, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just an exercise. It's like doing, yeah, push-ups or whatever. If you're not into it. <laughs> um, okay. Number one, remember if you're, if you're a slow reader or if you struggle to read, that doesn't mean you're not smart and you know, mm. don't give up. It's about like the, what they talked about here was that it's, you can kind of put a lot of pressure on yourself to read quickly or like, you know, like we're saying it, it, the struggle Mm -hmm. to kind of get into it. And the suggestion here was to give yourself enough time to pick up whatever book is interesting to you and just release yourself from the pressure of needing a certain number of pages or whatever to, to Mm -hmm. go by in a set amount of time, just kind of drop that from your or your mind. Right. Yeah. I, um, I've, I've talked to a few people, uh, that have said, um, that they usually try to read faster than sort of like what I would say real time is like when I read, (laughs) I can, I don't, I consider myself to be a pretty slow reader actually. But when I read, it's almost like if I was listening to the audiobook, you know, like that's like the speed at which I read. But I've talked to a few people who I got a weird little window into their brain where it's like, no, you have to read like faster than real time. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't have to like try to like get a page done just as fast as you can. You just like read at normal. Like, how do you read? Do you read at like a normal pace or do you like start to like skim and go faster and faster? Uh, it kind of depends. I mean, I'd say maybe my speed is related to how interested I am. Yeah. In 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 like a inverse relationship there, like I think if I'm more interested in something, I'd rather I'd slow it down. And then if I'm kind of less interested and that kind of goes by in like sections, because I mean, I rarely judge something like as completely like a whole work as something that I'm interested fully or uninterested. Cause every, you know, everything, even though my favorite books ever have lulls and stuff and parts that I'm not going to be interested in. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. I speed up if I'm trying to get through it <laughs> and mm-hmm. I slow down. If it's something I'm like, damn, I really want to pay attention to this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what sense I have for my speed of reading, but I do feel like I'm just reading like the audiobook in my mind. So like when dialogue is happening, it's, the speed of the of the mood of that dialogue basically yeah but do i wonder if people listen to audiobooks on like one and a half speed oh they definitely do they definitely do i actually i'm i hung out with a friend recently who was watching some sort of youtube video at because you know how you can choose the play speed to be up to two times and now i'm addicted to that Really? Like now I don't really watch YouTube unless it's a, something that I really need to study and absorb. I watch YouTube at like 1.5 or 1.75. Oh, wow. Like you can like, definitely what, get like addicted how to, to like how to videos. Yeah. Like yeah. Like because like the YouTube is like the world's encyclopedia in a way. Right. Like it's like, oh, how am I going to do this? Or like I want to see like somebody review this or whatever. Trust me, man. Now that I've okay. told you about playback speed, you're going to come back to me and be like, dude, I've been <laughs> watching everything at 1.75. No, you got that Gilmore Girls brain. 
Yeah, get the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Can you watch Gilmore Girls on 1.5? I probably could. I honestly, really? <laughs> a lot of people say that Gilmore Girls, they talk really fast in Gilmore Girls, but I don't see it. Like, they don't talk that fast. Like, I'm fine with it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, don't don't abuse yourself if you're reading at a slow pace, because I would say I'm slow. Yeah, just take it slow and, you know, don't, yeah. whatever. You don't need to set number of pages per day or whatever, or a book a week and no, yeah. Who would do that to themselves? A book a week. It sounds horrible. Um, yeah, that sounds all right, like number torture. two. Number two, drop everything and read. Read whatever you want, but make the time for it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I would agree with that. Part of that is reading does not have to be uh, highbrow. You don't have to read some giant doorstopper. If the classics don't do it for you, let them go. Definitely not. Yeah, that's true. I think that those things come with time. I mean, we've talked about it before on uh, here that like, I definitely like to take palate cleansers too. I think Stephen King is like my ultimate palate cleanser where it's yeah. basically like, oh, I've been reading all this like crazy shit or doorstops or not even doorstops, just complex. Like, oh, I, I read a yeah. novel from the 1800s or whatever. And then all of a sudden you're just like, nope, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really easy. Harry Potter, something like that. But it's, I mean, yeah, it, it's still, it's still good for you. I think even like, uh, you know, whatever genre you're looking at, celebrity mm -hmm. memoirs, any, anything, like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, I think it's but still I, beneficial. I agree with the whole make time thing. Like something that I've been doing, um, especially since the advent of smartphones is I actually like to have my phone out of my field of view when I read. <laughs> no, seriously. Like yeah, yeah. not... Not locked, not locked, or you know, maybe not as extreme as a different um, room. But I'll often be reading, and I have like a visual cue that my phone is on the bed, and I'll put it like under the pillow or like under like a like a magazine or something like that, just to get it completely like okay, like this book is the only thing that's in front of me. Not like oh, I got a text message and I'm gonna check it while I'm reading. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and and I think also our brains are so um, ruined that you know like the phantom buzz that supposedly yeah. like people feel like that i think has gotten even crazier where you get you hear phantom vibrations or you hear your ringtone in like music and stuff like that's happened to me a lot yeah or like you know you see the flashing notification light but it's just a phantom version of that too it's it's messed up <laughs> exactly yeah it's definitely kind of connected into your brain i mean the flip side of that is that Every statistic that I've ever seen, maybe I'm like living in a news bubble of like literature and stuff, but every statistic I've ever seen is that we read more now. Yeah, it's but just scrolling. I think scrolling, scrolling. is just bad. Yeah. Have you Sorry, ever been Twitter. reading, have you been reading a, a an actual book like pages in front of you and you want to be able to look up the word? That happens to me all the time <laughs> or I'm reading a book and I want to be able to like touch it and like highlight it like on a Kindle and like look up what the word means. <laughs> Not yet, but Damn I'm it, sure I have to I'm look that up later. There. What's yeah. number three? Number three, if you want to read more, make sure you have books all over your life. Oh, which yeah. Which is, you know, have a book in the car, keep a book in your bag, put a book, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, keep one on your bedside. Do you ever leave the More house every without a book? Do you leave the house without a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's always, there might always be one in my car or something buried somewhere, but I try uh, to. I will leave the house without a book. 
I try to never leave the house. I mean, I do. Obviously, it ends up happening. But sometimes when it does happen, I get so screwed. Like, I'll go and do something and be like, no, nah, I'm not going to be waiting around. And then I wait around for 30 minutes. And I'm like, I didn't bring my book. <laughs> I want to kill myself. Yeah. No, I always try to leave that. I pretty much always say to myself, don't leave the house without a book. Yeah. And, and I mean, luckily and, we got the Kindle or whatever on your phone, but it, that yeah. is, you can't, can't, can't keep the phone out of your vision when you're reading a book on it. From the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you'd um, be very distracted. Uh, that also goes along with the whole concept of like, you read a lot about on like book blogs and stuff like that, about how you should always definitely have more book. Like, I think a lot of people who are non-readers think they see a bookshelf and they're like, oh, that person who owns that bookshelf has read all those books. But it's actually the exact opposite. You've probably read. Yeah. yeah, you've you've probably read about a th even a serious reader has probably read about like a third or a half of the books that they own. And then everything else is like, you know, ammo. Yeah. <laughs> and it might just be wishful thinking, but who cares? Yeah. Oh, I, there are so many books that are wishful thinking. There are so oh, many yeah. books. Like I have, you know, like there's just like I have a few books that are just like, you know, you know, a thousand page Someday. from some, <laughs> you know, something and you're just like, hmm, okay. Just in case I break my leg and I'm, you know, yeah. in a cast for six months. Or whatever. Dude, I, uh, that's another, that, the, uh, a flip side of reading is the fantasy of negative things. Like, you know, like, like, oh, what if I like, oh, got I like, flu. Yeah, if I got like, I think about that all the time in terms of uh, like um, when you're thinking about like death or dying and stuff like that. And it's like, well, if I'm sitting in a hospital bed for six months, at least I can read. <laughs> yeah, you get all of uh, all of Proust in one oh, sitting. Yeah, yeah well, that, that might <laughs> break counts. your brain, but yeah, it counts as one sitting. Um, but yeah, make books available to you. I think that's a that's a good thing. I might uh, yeah, after this, I might throw one in my car just so I won't be. Yeah, dude, you gotta have a safety. without. Yeah. And it is kind of just, you know, it'll, uh, you know, you should pay attention to the times in your life when you are just waiting or bored or whatever. And your default is to pull out your phone, you know, right. You can, yeah. there's another way. All right. Number four, uh, break it. This one's a multi-parter break it down with this four part reading strategy. Okay. So this is more about the strategy of approaching reading itself. Like Number one, pre-reading. Pre Evaluate how much time you have, how much you want to read. Number hmm. two, just reading. Skim, skimming what's there, getting a sense for it. You know, scan your eyes over the page, that kind of thing. Look right. for numbers, bolded words, titles. Number three, strategic reading, which is about finding the meaning in what you just read, which is, you know, going slower, trying to store that information in your brain. And the last one, review reading, uh, which I guess they point out is a little bit more for like the classroom or academics. So, um, you know, trying to make sure it's kind of rote memory type stuff, that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. I don't know if I agree with some of those. What was the first one? I definitely know I disagreed with the first one. Pre-reading, <laughs> pre which is. Uh, thinking about how much time you have and how much you want to read. Accomplish. Yeah, I don't really agree with that. I think you should definitely like free form. I mean, if you, uh, it's fine to say I've got 30 minutes before I'm going to do X, you know, like leave the house or, or do whatever else I'm going to do. I have 30 minutes until I do this thing I'm going to read. But I yeah. wouldn't say like, 
I have to read 20 pages. Like that's like bullshit. That's like school stuff, you know? That's like yeah. from back in the day when you're like, I have to get to 30 pages or whatever. That's, you know, you need Chapter to like- four. yeah. Yeah, you need to forget about that. You just need to freestyle it. Yeah, it's also, you don't really know what you're getting into. Cause you can be like, oh, I'm gonna read for an hour and then like it sucks and you, and you give up after five minutes or you say, okay, I only have like, you know, I gotta get to bed soon or whatever. You're reading some like page turner and you're up till two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I, I this know. is not my not my book for this month, but I just finished a page turner. Nice. Not I mean this week, but yeah. Oh my god, I just finished a crazy <laughs> page turner. It's coming up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we have there's a bonus tip here, which is changing the word spacing, and this is based off of some studies by uh, someone named Matthew H. Schneps, and hmm. he's done some studies that shows that if you reduce the number of words in a sentence and then add if you add some white space between the words you know so they're not so close together mm -hmm. uh, it helps people to retain information i guess hmm. that might and be I a secret do behind that, that e might be one of the secrets behind when you read so fast on a kindle because you're sort of locked into whatever the spacing was or whatever the like you know, the format was is of the particular edition of a book that you own. But on a Kindle, you can do like, you know, you can you can see old people reading on the subway or whatever, where there's like three words on the screen. Yeah. You know, you yeah. can increase the text size and stuff. But I think that might be one of the secrets to why, like I've read a thousand page books on Kindle that went by so quickly because there's only like, because the page isn't as long as a standard page. Yep. Interesting. You also like knowing the percentage. That's always cool. You don't have to do that. Yeah, sometimes I turn it off, but yeah, knowing the percentage is pretty sweet. All right, yeah. So that's uh, four and a half tips on how to try and get yourself to read more, which yeah, we're always in favor of. So everybody read more and talk to us about it because yeah, let us know how you uh, <laughs> get out of a lull when you're not reading at all because that's that can happen like yeah pretty often yeah i've had lulls and they're pretty bad or i don't really have lulls i have oh the current book that i'm reading i don't really want to be reading but i'm in denial you know <laughs> yeah you're sort of like halfway through a book you know that you want to give up but you're in denial and it's just like in a you feel like you're in a rut i actually feel like i was in a reading rut a little bit when i was reading dead souls I was like, I don't know. And then finished it. All right. Okay. All right. So, so I think, am I what, going this first is, this week? Yeah, this is episode 43. Odd number means Mark's going first. All right. So, you know, I'm going to start off by saying, you know, you know, have you ever read something that kind of forces you into a certain cadence when you're reading it or you kind of adopt the voice or the accent in your head yes. and not just from a character, but from the narrator, I guess that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like everything. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Cause I mean, sometimes authors are very good at rooting something so far in like a very specific time or place that it just, it almost feels odd reading it in, in uh, the two thousands, <laughs> but uh, you get a lot of that 
now that it's the 2020s. So what I've brought, yeah, because we're in the future, what I've brought today is a work that when I was reading it, I heard it in my head as basically like Sam Elliott, this kind of gristled uh, Southern, mm. maybe a Texan rancher kind of voice or something like that. But then I found a clip of the actual author reading a section of it on YouTube. And now I hear like Microsoft Sam or <laughs> some <laughs> other text to speech generator here. Check this out. I'm going to play like a 15 second clip. I caught two trout in a little hole. It was like a wagon wheel. It was one of my favorite holes and always good for a trout or two. I always like to think of that hole as a kind of pencil sharpener. I put my reflexes in and they came back out with a good point on them. Over a period of a couple of years, I must have caught 50 trout in that hole, though it was only as big as a wagon wheel. My God. A robot, <laughs> right? re- a robot wrote this novel. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, was pretty thrown off by that, but there's some context clues in there on what uh, he was talking about and the sound in the background. Um, don't know if you have any guesses, but I'll just continue on and we'll get back to it. But <laughs> Okay. Uh, so I'm going to back up a second and have another kind of overall question. Do you think you would have been good or content with being alive or being like, you know, the same age you are now, maybe during the 60s or growing up in the 60s? No, and it's it's a resounding no, because <laughs> because I I feel like I hang out with a decent amount of art folk who um, idealize the past, you know, like mm-hmm. rose colored glasses for something that they never even experienced. And there's like I've been hanging out with a, I've hung out with a lot of people who have been like, man, if it was only the 70s, it would be so cool. Or if it was only the 60s or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Like I can like take out my phone, open Google Maps and know exactly where I need to be, when I need to be. I think about <laughs> it a lot in terms of like I think about it in terms of convenience. And I also think about it a lot in terms of travel. Like in it, like in that old world, it's like, oh, it's the '60s. You don't know what to do unless you like intensely research for like three weeks. Whereas now, you can, you know, like get on a plane to Malta, take out your Google Maps, and be like, and get on public transport and know like exactly what to do. Yeah, I think that I think that idealizing the past is sort of like, I don't know. I can't put myself in that headspace. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you know, it would be a step backwards and more than just time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I mean, I, I don't know if I would have been like a counterculture type either. Um, but I saw a good quote about the book that I brought today, which is this novel was written in 1961, but it wasn't published until 1967, which <laughs> of course was the perfect year to publish something as off center as this. And I guess that's one thing about the late 60s is that there was a lot of experimentation and uh, just cultural stuff or, you know, media, music and movies and books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so but the title... Was, it wasn't as easy to find. See, that's... No, no. Yeah, you had to mail something and... Yeah. Like, <laughs> there were definitely people just out there living, a, you know, a completely blissful, ignorant existence because you couldn't just, you know, find this shit. But anyway. Yeah, you had to be lucky that whatever bookstore or music store like knew it was tuned into more than just what was mm-hmm. on, you know, 
right. very readily available. So um, the title of the book I brought today is uh, Trout Fishing in America by Richard mm-hmm. Brodigan. Okay, yeah, I've heard and, of this. Yeah, so the topic of this book is trout fishing in America. And the characters and setting of this book can sometimes be trout fishing in America. And sometimes the nouns, the verbs, and the modifiers in this book are replaced by (laughs) trout fishing in America just as a term, Mm -hmm. which, you know, this is a pretty abstract book. It doesn't really have a strict narrative. And it's almost like poetry, but it's a little bit more more than that, um, more descriptive, I would say, and just kind of narrated more like, you know, a regular novel or something. And it's kind of just broken into little stories about, well, about the author, you know, about his childhood in like the Pacific Northwest. It's kind of got that region, regional feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And adult life in the 60s in San Francisco and Idaho. And I've really found it to be like a mix between kind of like a Jack Kerouac-esque like beat, like the beats, that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. also like, uh, I don't know, Jeremiah Johnson, like frontiersman kind of stuff. Like it had that's why I ascribed that kind of right. rancher voice to it. Well, yeah, so the way it, the clip that you played and when you were saying like that rancher voice, it was like I felt like it was almost like. You know, I knew it wasn't Cormac McCarthy, but it was like that kind of like gritty feeling. Yeah, yeah. I would say uh, beat slash frontier slash Great Depression era kind of like spreading stuff thin kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the survival, survival type type feeling. Um, And it's funny when when I was looking for like the audio book. Uh, or, or, you know, a clip like that. The other version that I found was someone, some random person had like created their own audiobook on YouTube. And he's like, yeah, I did this for my friend. Like he wanted to, to listen to it. So, you know, <laughs> that's a great friend out there just recording like three hours of full, audio. For full novels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a short book, but still like audiobooks are pretty long. It's 110 yeah, yeah. pages. Oh, so, you've never shout- read Hamlet? Let me perform yeah. it for you. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to that guy. Um, so I want to just read a section here just to give you an idea of like what it's like. And so this is a, it's kind of acts as a complete thought. It's just a couple pages. And this is called the Red Lip. 17 years later, I sat down on a rock. It was under a tree next to an old abandoned shack that had a sheriff's notice nailed like a funeral wreath to the front door. No trespassing, four-seventeenths of a haiku. Many rivers had flowed past these 17 years, and thousands of trout. And now beside the highway and the sheriff's notice flowed yet another river, the Klamath. And I was trying to get 35 miles downstream to Steelhead, the place where I was staying. It was all very simple. No one would stop and pick me up even though I was carrying fishing tackle. People usually stop and pick up a fisherman. I had to wait three hours for a ride. The sun was like a huge 50-cent piece that someone had poured kerosene on and then had lit with a match and said, Here, hold this while I go get a newspaper, and put the coin in my hand but never came back. I had walked for miles and miles until I came to the rock under the tree and sat down. Every time a car would come by, about once every ten minutes, I would get up and stick out my thumb as if it were a bunch of bananas and then sit back down on the rock again. The old shack had a tin roof colored reddish by years of wear, 
like a hat worn under the guillotine. A corner of the roof was uh, loose, and a hot wind blew down the river, and the loose corner clanged in the wind. A car went by, an old couple. The car almost swerved off the road and into the river. I guess they didn't see many hitchhikers up there. The car went around the corner with both of them looking back at me. I had nothing else to do, so I caught salmon flies in my landing net. I made up my own game. It went like this. I couldn't chase after them. I had to let them fly to me. It was something to do with my mind. I caught six. A little ways up from the shack was an outhouse with his door flung violently open. The inside of the outhouse was exposed like a human face, and the outhouse seemed to say, The old guy who built me crapped in here 9,745 times, and he's dead now, and I don't want anyone else to touch me. He was a good guy. He built me with loving care. Leave me alone. I'm a monument now to a good ass gone under. There's no mystery here. That's why the door's open. If you have to crap, go in the bushes like the deer. Fuck you, I said to the outhouse. All I want is a ride down the river. <laughs> nice. So a lot of it's like that. It's a lot of vivid kind of imagery and like um, a lot of similes, you know, <laughs> very yeah. like lengthy uh, descriptions, stuff like that. And a lot of it is entertaining to read. Like I, I like reading that that little part right there. It's kind of cool. Um, you know, he's talking to an outhouse or whatever, yeah. <laughs> that's that sort of stuff. Like, it's interesting. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I like fully get it or really understand every meaning in this book of which there are, you know, potentially many. Um, I think a lot of it is meant to be kind of a criticism of, uh, culture at the time. Is it, do you know if it's based on some sort of autobiographical, real trip or anything like was uh, there yeah, like a thing yeah. that happened like because i i personally idealize fishing even though i don't even do it like i've done it like a few times in my life and really loved it so it's sort of like to me this seems like a perfect fantasy of mine like oh yeah going fishing across america <laughs> it's kind of like that i don't i don't know if this guy was an avid fisherman i know that he kind of lived this life though in the Pacific Northwest and it, it's about his childhood. It's about different trips and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, fishing does kind of have that. Uh, what is it? Kind of pastoral quality to it. It's a serene kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things you could kind of go off in description on. About well, it was funny when you played the, f- it is. When you played the first clip, I knew it wasn't from Coming Up for Air by George Orwell. But the climax of that novel is sort of like that, where it's like about like a fishing hole that he idealized from when he was a kid. Okay. And it, it kind of had like similar vibes like that. The author describing uh, Microsoft Sam reading back <laughs> the uh, <laughs> robo voice. You should yeah. type you should type other sections of the novel into a text to speech. <laughs> basically be the same thing uh yeah i could do that um but anyway anyways like the i really enjoyed like the geography of this book and the sort of i guess visceral descriptions used for a lot of things because a lot of it's like you know like I, when i was talking about the great depression era type stuff like it feels that way like there's like a lot of urban not urban decay but rural decay that sort of thing and it's kind of like I thought of a stupid thing, but it's kind of like how in the first Star Wars movie, there's a lot of the all all of the ships and the droids and whatever. They're all like dirty, grimy right. and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of endearing in that way. They're not like yeah. these shiny, 
fancy stuff, you know? Yeah, uh, that's one of the, that was actually, we're so used to it because we're young that we're used to the Star Wars like aesthetic, but I um, I know someone who kind of like grew up through the 60s and 70s and he was saying like when Star Wars came out, it was that like the whole like concept of a galaxy, like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away the idea that technology would be so advanced that it's like super old was like really fresh and new. And people were like, whoa, that's like so cool, you know, because everything futuristic, you know, the whole like Flash Gordon and everything. It was like the future. Everything is super clean and amazing, yeah. you know, like no, whatever. Nothing yeah. has edges anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then and then uh, and then, you know, Star Wars came out and it was like, no, it's like you live with the technology. Like it's very like ancient. Yeah. Yeah, people were blown away by that. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of got that feeling from this, too. Um, and there's a, I got an example here. There's a part, there's like a chapter when he's describing this childhood ritual he had with a friend where whenever they happened to, like, come across a nickel or something, they would run to the store and get a Kool-Aid packet, you know, mm-hmm. at the general store or something. And they had these designated jars and this designated like stirrer that they would use in the back shed once they got water from like the the hose the house and they would you know very carefully and excitedly make kool-aid with uh twice as much water as you're supposed to use and (laughs) none of the sugar that you're supposed to add so like you know it's not even that sweet but it is like really special to them like they're making a day out of it like drinking watered down kool-aid that's like the sort of story that kind of draws you into certain parts of this book. It's it's uh, obviously written a lot better than I just described it. But you know what I mean by that? Like feeling? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that people are idealizing about living in the past. Like, oh, like that's like those moments are what I wish I had. And it's like, yeah, but in between then you're stuck by the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> talking to an outhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I didn't want to dive too far into Brodigan's life. I think I will, you know, kind of revisit him later on when I read maybe one of his novels or one of his full-length works. But I have seen that he was a big influence on Murakami, and I don't think that comes through clearly with this book. So like Mm -hmm. I said, I have to kind of read maybe more of his full-length stuff to get a feeling for that, but I did find that pretty interesting. Um, super, super quick description. Richard Gary Brodigan, uh, born January 30th, 1935, died September 16th, 1984. He's an American novelist, poet, and short story writer. His work often clinically and surrealistically employs black comedy, parody, and satire with emotionally blunt prose describing pastoral American life intertwining with technological progress. That's more that Wikipedia cheating. But I think hmm. that term right there, pastoral American life, really hits the nail on the head as far as trout fishing in America goes. It's kind of pastoral Pacific Northwestern American life, kind of brought to you from a weird angle, kind of like a spiritual ancestor uh, to the show Portlandia. Right. That's what I was That's thinking cool. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Brodigan's an interesting figure from, from what I've read. He was basically adopted by hippie culture but he wasn't like part of them and i think he like didn't like he you know he was a figurehead of counterculture without his approval i don't Hmm. think he like liked hippies right um 
and his other works include the novel In Watermelon Sugar and uh, Confederate General Big Sur. Might have heard of that one. And yeah. various poetry collections, most famously the uh, prophetic All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. Mm-hmm. And this, these were like chapbooks that he would just put together and like hand out on like right. college campuses and stuff. Uh-huh. And so the, the quote from that one, that's like the, the famous quote from that, all watched over by Machines of Loving Grace is, I like to think it has to be of a cybernetic ecology where we are free of our labors and joined back to nature, return to our mammal brothers and sisters and all watch over by Machines of Loving Grace. Hmm. So yeah, I think eventually I'll uh, try checking out one of his novels. But um, yeah, definitely. So I'd like to read him too, just because of that whole. You know how, like I've talked before on the podcast about like the whole journey to the West Coast and stuff like that. He sounds like somebody who would be good for like cementing that that journey, kind of like the Joan Didion like understanding California kind of thing. Yeah, like understanding the Pacific Northwest. He's like a prospector for uh, life experience. He sounds a little bit like a, also like a little bit of like a modern, there's this guy named John Muir, who's like only famous, like once you get out here, he's like this famous, like basically, you know how we have, um, who's the guy who wrote uh, Walden? Who's that guy? Thoreau. Thoreau. There's like a West Coast Thoreau named John Muir, who was like a hiker who like wrote amazing nature stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds like he's in that like sort of class, but 60s style. So uh, you should look up his picture while I read my one star review and just let me know what you think. Okay. Richard Brodigan. So my one star review here is from Andrew Peck of Goodreads. And he says, there's some beautiful prose, but uh, it's a largely, largely useless endeavor. I found the humor juvenile. The vision of America presented was that of a bleary eyed wandering man with little thought of the future. Interesting. He so looks like a, yet. yeah, he, I see him. Kind of get some Holy Mountain vibes. He looks like Cowboy John Lennon. <laughs> That's pretty good. Pretty good description okay. there. He's got that hat. Yeah, he's got this famous hat that he's been rocking for however long, a decade. <laughs> nice. But anyways, that's uh, Richard Brodigan. Cool. Trout yeah, Fishing in America. That's from 1967. Nice. All right. Good job. That was cool. I definitely want to check him out. Um, My book this week comes via kind of the normal route. Like, how would you say that you pick your your next book? Like, how do you kind of collect as you go along? That's hard to say. It's almost random. And there's a lot of times I'll try a few on for size. Mm-hmm. I find like I find the development of my reading list to be very or like basically the most random it can get is being reminded of a subject that I want to check out when I'm in a bookstore like oh like I see something on the shelf and it's like oh yeah that's what I want to get but other than that I find it very like one thing leads to another you know like oh this person mentioned that you know, there's a lot of like references like in Murakami where he like specifically says, you know, like this or there are like more subtler hints of, you know, oh, this person was influenced by X or whatever. Or, or in the introduction to a book, it'll say, you know, that's how 
you know, that's basically why you can't ignore Dostoevsky, because like literally every novel is like he was influenced by Dostoevsky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like the, the, you cannot not find that in anything. Um, but my next author that I this is the first book that I've read of his. And um, I will give you one single hint about this author and you're going to tell me immediately who turned me on to him. Okay, are you ready? All right. This is a Norwegian author. This is a Norwegian author. How did I find out about this Norwegian <laughs> author? It has to be Nausgaard. Yes. <laughs> so basically, um, a little while ago, I, I did um, coverage on the podcast of So Much Longing and So Little Space, which is the Nosgard book about Munk, Edvard Munk, Munch. which I've yeah, I've recently learned that that's how you pronounce Munch, Edvard Munch, Damn. <laughs> or whatever. So we said it about uh, 200 times. Oh, uh, who cares? <laughs> he's he's held me Munch to me forever. But um, so in the course of that book, he had mentioned, and it's very tangential to the action, like in so much longing in so little space, it's about painting. It's about creation. It's about how, you know, Nosgaard is a, is an extreme narcissist, which we can get into at any given point. Um, but in that book, he had mentioned uh, an author that and is the author of the book that I read this uh, month, which I'm sure I'm also butchering his name, but Nut Hompson. So K N U T H A M S U N. Have you ever heard of this individual? No. Shares the so, first name. I think there's a guitarist for Arcturus. Had that. Oh, was first really? name Nut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Nut Hompson is. Um, I'm pretty sure you know it's one of those cultural barriers. Find a Norwegian person and they'll know who Nut Hompson is. He won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1920. He is a very infamous figure in the history of Norway, which I only learned after doing some research for the podcast. So I'm going to talk about the novel first and how good it is, and then I'm going to talk about Nut Hompson, the infamous figure in Norwegian history. Um, but the way I had discovered him was that uh, in that other Nosgaard book, he kind of says, he tells a few stories about Nut Homsen and just like reading him or whatever. But then he also mentioned that his father had once told him that he saw Nut Homsen like in a bookstore or something. Like basically this guy was at the level of fame that like Nosgaard's father told his son, like I saw, like it's like a celebrity sighting. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I saw Nut Homsen. So I was like, okay, so that guy is like famous. Like he's really famous. Um, so I decided to look him up. And the novel that I did this week is from 1890 and it's called Hunger by Nut Homsen. And um, this book is really good. This book was an obvious choice for the podcast because it's very thin. It's only- when, uh, I got a question. When was it translated? Oh, is this something that times. has been read around, like read by English speaking people like yes, for yes. a long so, time or is it? Okay. So the novel is published in 1820 and the first, um, the first, 
wait, actually, sorry. No, the pop, the novel's published in 1890. First English is 1899. So only 10 years oh, later. Oh, okay, cool. So he was, he was on the scene. And this nice. is the book that brought him there. So he was like a young, poor guy who was traveling around Norway. He actually emigrated to America once before he hit it big and coming back into Norway and publishing Hunger. But Hunger was the big one. He published like a few short stories and a few like autobiographical like little snippets here and there. But then Hunger makes his career. Um, and it's translated into several languages pretty much immediately. But 1899 uh, was the first English translation. Then there was another one in 1967, which a lot of people on the internet and in literary culture kind of shit on. And then I have the 1996 translation that is considered definitive. Everyone always considers the <laughs> most recent translation to be the definitive translation, of course. I'm sure that there'll be another translation where it's gonna be like that one from 1996 is crap. But um, so what is Hunger about? So it was an awesome choice for the podcast because it's like pretty thin, but it is it does top out at like 190 pages or something like that. Or 200 pages this is a crazy page turner freaking read it in like two days like or three days or something like that it was like so crazy good um it reads very much like a modern thin novel and what is the book about it's about hunger so basically there's a young writer who's living in the city of christiana which later becomes oslo norway so it's like the capital of norway um Maybe not too ironically, the cover of the Penguin Classics edition is a monk painting called Anxiety. So famous <laughs> Norwegians, you know, they they travel together. So um, the painting called Anxiety, which is a great monk painting that uh, Nasgard also talked about, um, is I'm the cover of that this. up right now. And um, there is a lot of great, as you know, as I read pretty much any novel, if anyone has any minor inklings of struggling with anxiety that's what i underline in the book so there's a lot of stuff in here about how he's this young writer living in the capital of norway and he's struggling basically with defining himself he has like mental illness struggles for sure like he's basically like he feels woozy sometimes he feels dizzy not only because of hunger but because of his own anxiety and stuff like that but the other book that i would compare this book most to would be uh do you remember the book that i read um it's a 40s book from Japan called No Longer Human. You remember that yep. book? So, Desai. yeah, Desai. So, No Longer, good memory, Mark. Uh, no Longer Human is kind of like this you feel for the main character but it's also just like a like if it was a bar if it was a line graph it would go from high to like not very high but down always going down to absolute lows. And that's what hunger is as well. It's basically this guy who is really prideful really sort of arrogant and he's a young like person who's like all he has is like a pencil a stack of papers like loose leaf papers like in like not even in a notebook like a stack of papers that he keeps in his like jacket pocket and he's traveling around the capital basically convincing himself like i can write today i can do this i will be able to do this but all the while he's sort of just so prideful that he's like like turning down like food or like when he does get like a like a chunk of bread it's like that's all he can eat for the day and he's just basically going around like kind of slowly losing his mind and succumbing to hunger but at the same time 
too prideful to take charity from people or like there's one really good scene where he spends a night in jail by lying like say basically he tells the police like oh i lost my apartment key so i'm locked out of my apartment so can i stay here and then when they have breakfast in the morning for the homeless people he's like no i'm not homeless i'm like fine i'm doing totally fine and like i'm not gonna eat or whatever um so he's kind of like losing his mind it's also a really good book for one of those good like books where it's like assuming the mind of someone who is just a complete piece of shit. Like he's an asshole who like whenever he gets the even the opportunity of being like a like a sociable person, he like completely rejects society, pe- treats people like shit. There's one pretty harrowing scene um, that's interesting to read, you know, now in 2019 where he like follows these like two women through the streets and just like kind of harasses them but not he doesn't sexually harass them but he kind of like he keeps telling this one woman like you dropped your book you dropped your book and she's like i don't know what you're talking it's like really creepy it's like basically one of those people that you would see on the street like bothering people but that's the main character like that's whose mind you're in so it's very sort of like fucked up in that way okay um, I th- one theme that I thought was really good in this book was that his internal dialogue and like the way that he's kind of chronicling his downfall is very eloquent versus when he actually gets the chance to talk to people, he has horrible like communication skills. So like there's this one woman that he kind of gets infatuated with that he eventually gets invited up into her apartment and he like has had so many like deep and like interesting emotions about this woman all through the haze of being hunger and anxiety and kind of losing his mind. And he has all these beautiful like thoughts and ideas. And then when he actually talks to her, he like treats her like an abusive boyfriend where he's like, no, you're like a whore and like blah, blah, blah and whatever. And it's just like horrible. Like he's like a horrible person. Um, I haven't seen the movie, but this almost sounds like the Joker, like the Joker movie that came out this year. Or last maybe, year. May, you know, there could be like similar themes. Um, but yeah, it's all it's basically it's like a good book for reading about like, you know, reflecting on writer's block. It's also a good book for thinking like reflecting about how like even people who are shitty, like have their own stories of like, you know, what's wrong with them and stuff like that. And there's just like a lot of thing that's wrong with him. Like, and it's that same like theme, like no longer human where you want to feel like better for him, but it's just not ever going to get better. Like he just like is on a downward trajectory that he can't, he can't help himself because he's like too arrogant and too prideful. And there's just like a lot of really good, I, I don't even really have many quotes to like pull out because a lot of the best stuff is just those little one sentences of brilliance and stuff like that. But it was super addicting. It was very addicting read and kind of just like, oh, like I'm going to spend some time with this like horrible person and like, what are they going to do next? Um, So I would definitely recommend Hunger. I will, without spoiling the title of the next book that I will read sometime in the future, I've already bought another Nut Homsen book because he just was, it just, it's one of those things like a book that like rolls off the tongue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just so easy to read, so easy to sit down. And and it, and this going back to the theme of talking about, you know, getting into reading. This was one of those books where I was like, I don't even want to watch TV or a movie. I want to read Hunger. Like I'm ready to just read it again. Like I don't want to look at my phone. I want to read this book. Um, so he's extremely readable. Just a great all around thing. So, you know, some quotes about Hompson, like in literary society, a lot of people agree 
some you know a lot of people see him as like a norwegian national treasure where it's like yeah this guy was like basically he came onto the scene and kind of defined things a little bit for people where he was he was a step into modernism where he was taking that internal like dostoevsky style dialogue but modernizing it to the point where it's kind of more like it's cut down to the essentials. So as like when you're reading Dostoevsky, there's so much brilliant insight into the human soul, but there you're also dealing with a lot of stuff that's like from the past, you know, like yeah, how books were written in the past. And this book feels like it was written yesterday. Like it's from 1890, but it's definitely a step in the in the in the thing in the direction of being way more modern. Um and yeah, he gets it, compared say I was going to say, it sounds awesome. Like, I like books like that that are kind of, it sounds like it's very small in scope, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's, just channeling it, in on one person and maybe a couple days in their life. And you can yeah. see they're either trending up or trending down. And, you know, yeah, it's very realistic in that way, too, where like I there were scenes where I was reading. There were times when I was reading this book and thinking about it outside of when I was actually reading it and just thinking about like how horrible it was, like he's dying of hunger and also dying of pride and arrogance and stuff like that. And there's like embarrassing moments that you follow along with the main character. There's also like, there's a scene and I won't get into too much detail because this will spoil one of the best parts of the book, but there's also a scene when he's laying in bed and chewing on his pencil. Cause he like hasn't eaten in like a week and it's like really good like it just that like you said like that small scope of him like almost eating his own pencil is like very sort of you know representative of the whole book and very sort of cool and, and it's a really good scene that sounds great um, and it, you know this sort of thing too makes me think of how much there is out there that we're just not aware of because they're oh, yeah. regional or not translated or yeah, definitely. I don't know. Got to do some research. Yeah, so, you know, follow follow along with, you know, I only found this because Nasgard was like, yeah, this dude is the man. Um, and yeah, that's it. So let me do a, like, before I get to my one-star review and wrap up, I also, I would be very remiss to all of my Norwegian friends if I didn't mention one of the big, big reasons why Nut Hampson is a very infamous figure in the history of Norway. And that okay. is because if this guy was around today, he'd be canceled 100%. <laughs> okay. He's a real uh, piece of shit. He is a real piece of shit in the sense that he was a Nazi sympathizer. Oh. So he publishes all these great books. 1890 is Hunger. Another one of his famous novels, 1894, is called Pan. He also wrote um, uh, one of the books he's best known for is called Growth of the Soil. And, you know, he's got all these great themes, the rejection of society, how we should, you know, modernism is ruining humanity and all of these, you know, things. He grows up poor, so he has a lot of really interesting insights. One of my favorite quick quotes from this book was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, I know I end uh, I know I underlined it somewhere, but um, he says, he basically says, you know, the mind of the in, the poor, intelligent person is far more acute than the mind of the rich, intelligent person, <laughs> you know, hmm. like, you know, being sensitive to, you know, empathy and stuff like that. 
But then life takes its toll on Nut Hamsen, or for whatever reason, you can say whatever, blah, blah, blah. But as a Norwegian through the Second World War, he basically becomes like a massive Nazi, Nazi sympathizer where he was like, he was all about like Nazi Germany and basically like, yeah, Hitler's great. And he actually, in 1943, he sent Germany's minister of propaganda. You've heard of this guy before, Joseph Goebbels. He sent his Nobel Prize to him as a gift. Wow. So this so, guy sucks. So he maintained, he kind of like maintained himself as like a, a national kind of figure in, in Norway for a long time though. Like to the yeah, point no, where yeah, he, that, he was like, like a, a lot, it's one of those supporter. Okay. Well, yeah, it's one of those things. Well, first of all, they also say he actually did eventually meet Hitler face to face. And and that meeting is infamous for really pissing Hitler off because he basically tried to convince Hitler to free some Norwegian prisoners. And Hitler was like, no one tells me what to do, um, even if you are a horrible racist. But um, but basically, this is like he's a figure in Norwegian history because nowadays people basically are in the world of literary criticism regarded very high, but at the same time, it's like kind of one of those, it's like the whole, it's like the Michael Jackson syndrome, you know, where it's like, are you going to give up on this guy's art because of what you know about him? Because I read hunger and thought it was like one of the most amazing insightful. It's kind of, it's the, it's the Mishima thing too, you know, how he's like yeah. a right wing nut job, but his books have just kind of almost nothing to do with that and are just beautiful. <laughs> um so two sides of a person and you kind of have to reconcile with that but yeah a lot of norwegians if you asked about nut homsen they'd be like oh yeah that novelist who's a horrible racist nazi um so yeah that's what i discovered when doing research for the podcast so that's kind of depressing um but overall i would still wreck it like you know that's learning about history and it's learning about you know a lot of the stuff that's out there so who knows uh you know obviously Nosgard made no mention of that, so who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, not Homsen. I still highly recommend him. Very amazing book, Hunger. Really easy to read if you want to read something in two days. And that was perfect for obviously our purposes on the podcast. I have my one star review from Cindy on Goodreads. She says, once again, a classic let me down. The starving artist was terrible. He rambled on and on about having no food while he thinks he's a writer. He can't buy food, but he goes through paper like it's nothing. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. It's one of those books where the main character, maybe something like, uh, you know, The Catcher in the Rye, where it's like, you don't like the main character, but I think Nut Hompson knew that. It's sort of like you have to reconcile with this guy who is... Very arrogant, very mean, and uh, possibly in the situation he's in because of his stubbornness. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that not, that Homsen was ignoring that. I think that he was exploring that. Um, so yeah, not Homsen hunger. Definitely recommend it. Um, that's it. This has been Shitty Book Reports. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find us every Sunday on Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, and Twitter at SBR the Podcast. You can also email us, sbrthepodcast at gmail.com. Give us comments, suggestions, corrections, whatever you're feeling, and we'll see you next time. All right. Have a nice week. See ya.